0: Welcome to the McIver Report, Wisconsin this week, the best place to hear about all the latest happenings in your Wisconsin state government. This week we'll be talking about the gas tax again, John Doe, <laughs> welfare reform, and much, much more. Coming to you straight from Capitol Square in Madison, Wisconsin, I am not Matt Kittle. No I kidding. Am, I am not Paul Avery. <laughs> I am Bill Smolski, McIver News Director, here with our all-star team.
1: Paul Olisowski, Research Associate.
2: And Chris Rochester, Communications Director. Here to tell you, never to miss an episode of the MacIver Report. We're new every Tuesday, so be sure to hit subscribe. Very important. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe through your favorite podcast app, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Tune in, Google Play. Uh, be, sure, be sure to share with your friends and family. And, oh, by the way, very important. Leave us a, a review. Hopefully a good review. But uh, even if not, <laughs> if not, leave us a review. It helps us uh, Helps us promote the podcast
0: yeah and this is a great time to subscribe because as we continually learn the excitement never stops in madison wisconsin always a su-
2: never there's never no shortage of surprises these days is no, there
0: no i mean just when you think things are going to slow down oh it's the winter we're kind of just going to ease out of the session i mean it's been one thing after another and just when you think that one hot button issue area has calmed down it just heats right back up again. Um, we'll start with my favorite policy issue this week, that is transportation funding. Oh, the battle of the budget on this Not one. this again. Yeah. Deja
2: vu all <laughs> over the place.
0: So in September, when we when the state finally agreed on a budget, it, I was so glad to stop thinking about transportation funding, you know, for a couple days. So this issue has been really quiet, but that and then last week hit. Um, you have President Trump's State of the Union address where he talks about this. We had three Wisconsin lawmakers talk about a, announcing a bill to start a major, a mega construction project in Milwaukee. And then you had Governor Walker talking about the gas tax again. And on top of all that, the DOT announced it saved over $22 million since August from more competitive bidding and other efficiencies. So starting with Trump. During his State of the Union address, and this really wasn't any surprise to anyone, um, he talked about his $1.5 trillion infrastructure plan. Now, this, the whole concept of a, a trillion-dollar infrastructure plan has really concerned a lot of conservatives because it immediately reminds them of President Obama's stimulus where all that money really didn't go to infrastructure plans most of it just went to prop up local governments right so this one got a lot of people nervous but as details have leaked out and i know it's really hard to believe that anything can leak out of the trump administration <laughs> we, we have the the uh, understanding is that the federal government's only going to be fronting about 200 billion Oh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Two hundred billion out of the one point five trillion, and uh, about half a trillion is going to come from um, encouraging private partnerships. But the big piece here is that eight hundred billion dollars is expected to come from the states. Now, typically, when a uh, the federal government is helping out with a state's road project, the feds will give eighty. Well provide, pardon me, 80% of the cost, and the state will provide 20%. Well, this plan will flip that around, so the federal government will be giving 20% of the plan, and the states will be giving 80% of the the cost. I wonder
2: how many states have enough money in their budget to come up with that 80%. That's kind of a lot of, that's a big ask. It,
0: It is a big ask, but, you know, it is also kind of playing to the psychology of all politicians, and that is when there is free money... Hanging around, yeah. it doesn't matter how many strings are attached to it, it's still free money.
2: We all you know, we've been critical of this idea that there's free money and because there's always strings attached to it, whether it be for Medicaid or what have you. So, you know, the, the, there's or this... Or the
1: 20 bucks
0: your mom hands you. Right. You know, <laughs> strings attached to everything. They have, exactly. Or when grandma gives you 20 bucks, she expects a kiss on the cheek and a hug. <laughs>
2: My mom expects me to, you know, mow the lawn or whatever. You're... Well, you know, so one of the things as far as the strings go that um, hasn't gotten a lot of attention is Trump did mention in the speech. One thing that is good, he can criticize the spending and the way that it's designed, even though it was just the one line, I think, right, in the speech about, about this, this particular proposal. But he did talk about uh, deregulation. He talked about some reforms. He complained about the fact that it can take years to get a road built. But back in the you know, the 30s, they built the Empire State Building in just over a year. So that, that was a positive news for me. Yeah, so but we do have this this new concern about where the taxes are going to come from, the state-local taxes.
0: Yes, and this leads us to Governor Walker, who Thursday was speaking at the Monona, Monona Terrace. And uh, every time the governor speaks, especially here in Madison, there's a gaggle of reporters that will mob them with questions afterwards. And it's perfectly fine. It's all designed to, to play out like this. Right. So they, uh, they asked Governor Walker about, president trump's infrastructure plan and and uh, as
2: much as there is a plan right yeah, now exactly right. What as you think
0: about it and so governor walker said how oh you know i really don't like this idea of a 20 80 percent plan and then he started to go a little bit in the hypotheticals he said i really hope congress swaps it back to how it usually is where the feds pick up 80 and we take 20 and uh, to paraphrase here, he said, hey, you know, if that were the case, I might be open to considering a gas tax increase.
2: And if you read a little further into the story, I mean, people, people flipped out. There was a lot of attention. That was a headline story. It kind of lit the world of Madison politics on fire. But if you read a little further, you know, he does say with a corresponding decrease elsewhere, or a greater or more. And so if you really know, if you really were following this budget debate, like all of last year,
0: I mean, that's <laughs> what he's been saying.
2: He's been saying. I think the thing is a lot of people aren't splitting that hair, and all they saw was this prolonged budget debate where the governor said, not raising gas taxes, not raising gas taxes. And so the, I always say politics is no place for nuance. That's an important nuance a lot of people are just going to lose.
0: Yeah, and I mean – it really makes you. Want, it made a lot of people wonder if all of a sudden you know he was you know switching gears and flip flopping. So, um, so now that that is behind us, <laughs> oh, right? That's behind <laughs> us. There's
2: many miles of this road ahead of us.
0: Um, so also on also on Thursday. Um, well, time, first of all, yeah, it was Thursday. DOT announced that saved $22 million.
2: Oh, yeah, that story got lots of attention, So
0: right? <laughs> DOT is, you know, ever since uh, Secretary Ross took over there, and he's been allowed to kind of look for efficiencies and also the words out that this DOT is cracking down on, on frivolous spending. You know, bidding's gotten more competitive, and, I mean, this announcement of $22 million saved since August, I mean, they'd already been saving tons of money before that. So, I mean, this is more good news, and... There are three lawmakers standing by in the wings, ready with a great idea of how to spend that money.
2: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, just goes to show you, you, when. So the argument we've made is let the DOT find these cost savings. Let the DOT, like you said, get the word out that we're not we're not rolling over. We we want these these costs to come down, and we, we're not wasting tons of money. So it gives us lawmakers the opportunity to use that money to accelerate other projects or to launch projects that have been kind of put on ice.
0: That's right. So. Um, along with that announcement, of the $22 million DOT also said that there's other projects like the um, I-3990 project in Rock County. That will be finished a year early, which is great news for those of us that commute to Rock County every day.
2: Like, who's that? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Um,
0: <laughs> but this also takes us to Milwaukee, where you might have heard of mega projects in Milwaukee. Well, the first mega project was the Marquette Interchange Currently we have two other mega projects in the works. We have the Zoo Interchange and we have the I-94 North-South mega project. But there is one more that's uh, still on the drawing board. It's had an environmental impact study that's been complete for well over a year and a half now. And that is the East-West project, which will connect the Marquette Interchange to the Zoo Interchange. So uh, lawmakers that represent that area for example, Joe Sanfilippo, are very interested in getting that stretch of road addressed with the other mega projects. And
1: we're talking East-West 94,
0: right? That's right, East-West 94, so between 16th Street and 76th Street. So for those of you who only visit Milwaukee occasionally, they'll take you right past Miller Park. Um, uh, Representative Sanfilippo, along with Representative Dale Koyenga and Senator Alberta Darling, they announced on Thursday that they have a bill... That will uh, begin. W- that will authorize work on that project, and they essentially want to put that twenty-two million dollars in savings into that project. Well,
2: I, I only drive through there occasionally, like you mentioned, and I'm—I I'm, guess I'm not sad to see that this project's going to move. Yeah. It is one of those ones that's kind of hanging out there.
0: It, it, it's a little frustrating to people that are out states, you know, who ex- only occasionally visit Milwaukee and. Um, you know, I haven't bought in this idea that, you know, as goes Milwaukee, so goes Wisconsin. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, these really big projects and all people, you know, some people see is Milwaukee wants them all at once. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they,
2: get, there's a lot going on down there. Yeah. And I think the state, this is kind of what we've been saying. they they bid off more than they could chew some years ago, and now we're kind of paying the price for it now, especially with all the under, underbidding of projects or, or lowballing of, of the cost estimates. Yeah,
0: and, you know, you could only hope – so these projects should be done – all done within the next 15 years, the mega projects. So you could, you'd only hope that going forward, the Department of Transportation might do a little better maintenance and replacement plan other than, you know – 50 years from now, they all need to be torn down and replaced at the same time again?
2: All, done, all redone again. Yeah, by the time they're done finishing all these projects, they're going to have to restart on one of the other ones.
0: Oh, my gosh. No. You know, I, I hope it doesn't play out like all these sports arenas where, you know, oh, right. everyone well, built know their sports arenas in the 1920s and they lasted for 80 years. And then those sports arenas are now need to be replaced after 10 or 15 years.
2: Um. Yeah. No, I read an article uh, from back in my good old hometown of Holman where they just redid this stretch of highway. I'm not comparing it to the zoo interchange. They literally just, the pavement's like still hot. And there's an article about how they got to repave it. So let's let's try to get a little more bang for the buck out of these, some of these projects. I, I don't know. I, I am I have like a cognitive dissonance thing going on or a whiplash because we're seeing all these construction announcements and it's one degree outside. So what we, we're supposed to have two seasons, winter and construction season, and they're like they're they're just merging together right now. So I'm no, I got a very uncomfortable feeling. It's,
0: it's the off season, you're getting like the scouting reports.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. All
0: right. So. Now, while the governor said he's open to the idea of a gas tax on Thursday, uh, that same day, he made it clear there's one thing he's absolutely not open to. That is removing Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm over his role in John Doe. Now, that's even though the State Ethics Commission Chair, who is a Democrat, by the way, is urging him to do so. Now... John Doe has been one of uh, the key stories that we've been following, and it's been Matt Kittle's area of expertise, but unfortunately, Matt is not here today.
2: Matt has a nasty bug.
0: Which, you know, probably a lot of people in Wisconsin can relate to right Right. now, but um, Chris, you're... uh, you're you. I'm, I'm. It is falling. Deck, so. It's falling. <laughs> me falling
2: to me to distill Matt Kittle's years of experience and I think 600 articles about John Doe into so, a few minutes. Yeah. Here. So let me so. set the
0: stage a little bit. Um, we got a new John Doe judge set or uh, or um, um, picked who is now who is in Green Bay. Right. <clears throat> Last week on Thursday. That judge held a hearing. Held
2: the first hearing in this contempt of court proceeding. It's going to be probably a lengthy legal process that will determine if uh, somebody gets held in contempt of court, yeah, as so, recommended so by Brad yeah, Schimmel.
0: Yeah, so who's up? Uh, who's at risk for that?
2: Uh, well, the whole cast of characters was there. Uh, you had the, you had at least one of the victims of John Doe, which was Eric O'Keefe, but you also had John Chisholm, David Robles, uh, the whole the whole set of characters who were involved from the from the very start and the judge's name is Kendall M Kelly he uh, so Matt Kittle traveled up there on, last Thursday to report on this and um, he basically the story was that the judge spent a lot of the time asking what his authority is um, which I think is probably appropriate don't go too fast being that the Supreme Court did shut this this thing down what is the authority of a new John Doe judge. Uh, in pursuing these contempt of court uh, charges, and it's it's a very complicated uh, web. We all remember going back to December. The new, the latest shoot to drop, or the latest chapter uh, in this whole saga was came about when uh, Attorney General Brad Schimmel and the Department of Justice dropped this report, saying, you know, finding that. The John Doe was a lot more extensive than anybody thought, which set, up, set off this new round of, uh, and by the way, recommending contempt of court charges for some of the key players who used the Government Accountability Board to kind of go rogue and just turn this transition, what was supposed to be a criminal investigation, which had no legal bearing, we found out, and uh, transitioned it into a domestic spying operation. And for not complying with the Supreme Court, The attorney general recommended, uh, recommended charges.
0: Well, you know, and we are. We didn't recommend charges,
2: recommended contempt of court.
0: Yeah, And we're anticipating a very long and presumably expensive, you know, court process here. And uh, uh, what a lot of people might not realize at the end of the day, uh, contempt of court is just a misdemeanor.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, you're, this is going to be a significant investment of time by a lot of people. Uh, you know, a lot of the people who were there had never been in the same room together. But they were, they had to come. They had to show up. Uh, John Chisholm, uh, uh, Francis Schmitz, uh, again, Robles. They had, but you're right. They're going to go through this long process. And in the end, if, someone, if, if the judge even sees fit to take the AG's recommendation, it's a slap on the wrist. Nobody's going to... Is someone going to lose their job? Is somebody going to go to jail? Is um, Shane
0: Falken have a hard time landing a job with the Democrat Party after this. No, nah, so, you know
2: he's he's out. You know he's already out back in private <laughs> well, practice.
0: <laughs>
2: you know Brian Bell landed at the right back at Dispus. Michael Haas is being kept on at least through March by the Elections Commission, um, and David Robles ended up with a with a, a pension out of the deal. And and by the way, even though. The uh, Democrat chair of the Ethics Commission, David Hulbrooks, recommended that Governor Walker impeach John Chisholm, like he mentioned. Uh, he's probably not going anywhere.
0: Yeah, just unless re- the voters want to vote him out, yeah, probably, I mean, probably not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, to recap on that real quick um, so, <clears throat> David Hulbrooks is the chair of the Elections Commission or Ethics Commission. Um, the way it's set up now is that Democrats get to uh, nominate certain members of the commission, Republicans get to nominate some. Uh Hall Brooks is the Democrat, the Assembly Democrats' pick, and he is the chair of the commission, and he's uh, really ticked off at John Chisholm because during John Doe, um, <clears> Hall <throat> Brooks was working on a case that involved John Chisholm's office, and John Chisholm's office seized all of his email, all of Hallbrook's email records that involved that had to do with that case, presumably during the for John Doe, which had, had nothing to do with
2: it. This is a really if you really think about it, it's, it's shocking. Uh, Hulbrook says this is not a partisan thing and you can see why he thinks that because he's a Democrat. He was a victim of, of John Chisholm. And it, it is atrocious that a prosecutor would seize communications that have to do with a case in front of him. What kind of overreach is that? I mean, this is a guy who should not be in this position if he is going to abuse his authority in that kind of way.
0: So, yeah, we, we will continue to follow this, and Matt will be uh, back up and at him before you know it. Oh,
2: we hope, because this is a challenge to uh, to go through this, this and, and make it somewhat understandable, which I don't know if I did that or not, but <laughs> it, it's a story that's going to keep on unfolding. And uh, as I mentioned, hey, without Kittle here, I can say this, somebody's got to write a book about this, and who better than Matt Kittle?
0: Yeah, and he's not here to defend himself because he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> want to write that book, but... It's,
2: He's going to have to do it. He's going to yeah. have to take one for the team. I'm yeah, just,
0: you. you know, just, just for the sake of history. <laughs>
2: well, for the sake of people like me who I'm trying to put put the, all the pieces together yeah. of this whole thing, you, you really couldn't make this up. People wouldn't believe that something like this happens in America where you have a domestic spying operation and the other side of the aisle, save one guy, is defending it and saying, you know what, it's okay if if the cops raid your house, or it's okay if the cops seize your communications and the communications of your supporters because you're on the other side of the political aisle from us.
0: Well, and honestly, I'm surprised that this this, uh, story doesn't get more attention nationally, even from the conservative media, because when you think about the challenge that President Trump faces as he tries to, quote-unquote, drain the swamp, I mean, this is... You know, Wisconsin is a much smaller scale issue, but it's a very similar, you know, situation that, you know, the uh, Republicans are facing with the FBI right now.
2: Yeah, it is. This is very familiar. If you're familiar with Wisconsin's John Doe, you're reading through this, this memo, you're seeing what is what this investigation, this Bob Mueller investigation um, and the FBI has been up to. And it's you get deja vu.
0: It's a little disheartening, too, because it makes you wonder, like, geez, if Wisconsin can't fix this problem, what chance do they have with the federal government and that giant apparatus? And
2: the swamp creatures who <laughs> populate these things. One person who's been really good is and actually retweeted our latest story, which when you have that many followers, it's actually kind of a big deal, is Kimberly Strassel. And um, she wrote a book about this very topic and talked extensively about Wisconsin's John Doe and um, See, I would if recommend If here,
0: he would say he's off the hook.
2: <laughs> yeah, she did it. Why do I have to do it? Yeah. Right.
0: Well, heading back here to Wisconsin and back to Madison, um, the legislature is already hard at work on the agenda. Governor Walker set out in his State of the State address uh, last month already. Um some of the issues uh, that, he, that he brought up that he'd like to emphasize for the remainder of this session are uh, welfare reform, rural economic development, uh, something called reinsurance and uh, providing a child tax credit. Now we'll start with uh, welfare reform, and Ola, we're gonna we're gonna bring you back into the uh, conversation. Um, now this this my is my
1: eyes glaze over yeah. when you talk
0: transportation. Oh. I'm all so I'm on it. it gets me so excited and fired up almost <laughs> as much as talking and criticizing Star Wars. <laughs> I knew you were gonna go there. But oh my god! I'm pulling it back. I'm pulling it back. I'm
2: hiding under the table. I'm but, hiding under the table. <laughs>
0: Let's talk now. well We're starting with welfare reform. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not part of this session. This is part of a special session. That's right. Which is essentially just the governor giving the legislature an extra kick to get it done. So, <laughs> That's t- right. t- tell us some about some of those bills. And I, I know we've gone over them before, but yeah. it's it, it's worth uh, repeating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the legislature began its work on the governor's welfare reform package last week. Uh, Of course, he called on them to hold a special session and pass a package of 10 bills um, without really a clear deadline, but it was just kind of like a do it. Fast to, get it to done. do it soon, get it done. And we know they all want to get
0: back to districts. So. And they all want
1: to get back to their districts. Something going on later this year. I don't know. It, it escapes yeah, me.
2: this big event. Um, like
1: anyway, so the first legislative hearing happened last Wednesday. Chris was there as expected. It was a rather lengthy hearing.
2: It was, it was, it was you know, at least I was there for four hours and I was, they weren't done when I left. Yeah. It was, the room was still pretty much mm-hmm. full. Yeah. So, yeah, as you're right.
1: It has to be expected. Right. You know, a full package of 10 bills. Uh, the first bill, of course, that would increase the required hours of participation for those who receive food share benefits in uh, job training and employment programs such as FSET. Uh, that would increase the hours of participation in a program like that from 30 a week to or from the 20 a week where it is right now to 30 hours a week. It would also require able-bodied adults with children over the age of six to participate in programs like that, as well as a slew of other things. So we're looking forward this week, the assembly will be holding an executive session on the entirety of those bills uh, on, on Tuesday, first thing in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning. So we look forward to that.
2: Um, I will be there. Uh, so the, the assembly is Passing all 10, or is executing on all 10 right. tomorrow. But the Senate this week is only doing two. Is right. that, I think, so it's kind of strange, but we'll see what the Senate does. Um, we'll, uh, I, do you, I, I wonder if they're all going to pass the assembly. I think they probably will. Mm-hmm. So we're wondering if, what, if there's some problem in the Senate, what's going on with that. Sure. Um, but yeah, I'll be there with a camera and a notepad tomorrow,
0: <laughs>
2: tomorrow, Double obviously duty. being a relative thing. We exist outside of time here at the McKinley yeah. report. So we're yeah. recording it on Monday.
0: Yeah. It'll be the past to you. <laughs> if you're listening, it'll be so, listening the past. So the next, uh, the next big agenda item that is, uh, rural economic developments. Um, this one was just introduced, uh, this past Friday. Uh, it is the governor called for a $50 million a year annual investment for rural economic development, grant programs, and and the like. No fiscal impact study done yet, but Whoa. I'm anticipating it will be somewhere around $50 million a year.
2: Gee, <laughs> <laughs> how'd you figure that out? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: you, you know, you're able to start making educated guesses after you've been doing this for a while. You, you,
2: you've been here for like 10 years, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hope to make that kind of a genius inference after the next, you know, my next eight years of work. Yeah. <laughs> the guy
0: yeah. So the big takeaway on this one is it's a forever commitment. I mean, fifty dollars, fifty million dollars a year every year. So.
2: So this is the kind of thing you'd think would go into grant programs for if someone wants to start up a business incubator or one of these other you
0: know,
2: initiatives you see outside, you know, I don't know, sprucing up downtowns or old buildings, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm I mean,
0: pretty sure it's not going to include, like, broadband because there's so many other, you know, bills and programs and lines of funding that are trying to attack that problem. Right,
2: and I think that's one of the big things to in enabling rural economic development is, is having the Internet access. So. We'll see how that goes.
0: All right, next item, reinsurance. That is a fancy Mm. term. I've Uh, got my
2: pocket protector.
0: Yes. So, Chris, (laughs) Chris, what what are we talking about? Reinsurance. So, if you have insurance, why do you need to reinsure?
2: This is just how crazy the insurance business is. So, it's not insurance- it is reinsurance. It's stop-loss insurance is what reinsurance is. So, it's, prote- um, it's,
0: it's protection from your insurance.
2: It's protection in case, yeah, you get a big claim. So that if you're a private insurance company and you're offering plans on the individual market, on Obamacare, the reinsurance proposal by the governor is a plan that will basically pay for cover using public money, 80 taxpayer money, 80% of claims in what they call a risk corridor, which is a fancy way to say if an insurance company has to pay out a claim or get, receives an insurance claim of between $50,000 and $250,000, the government will pick up 80% of the tax. Now, now,
0: now, mind you, isn't the federal government already subsidizing these things by like about 80%? Uh,
2: there's, there's federal subsidies. Now, one thing to know about reinsurance is when Obamacare was started, there was a temporary reinsurance plan or proposed uh, component. And that expired in 2016. I think the Democrats blame Republicans for canceling it or something. No, it, it expired. But this is something that's been tried by other states. You have Minnesota, Oregon, Alaska have tried reinsurance. Um, it is uh, $200 million is the projected expenditure by taxpayers. We don't like to pull hairs, split hairs between federal and state money because it's taxpayer money either way. But when you're talking about the impact on the state budget, this proposal is about $50 million a year out of the state budget.
0: Now, it is a tough situation because you do have people in an emergency situation with, how quickly premiums have risen
2: it is it is an emergency situation and you know it, coming into 2018 the rates for on this individual market for Obamacare plans went up on average in Wisconsin by 36 percent and the trend line is, is not it's not a good trend line because the that percentage rate increase has doubled every year for the past couple years or Thereabouts. Yeah. So, would a 72- yeah, seventy-two? That's,
0: that's on average. So you had people that had a lot worse hits. Than you that.
2: had worse hits than that, and and I mean, would a seventy-two percent increase next year be? It wouldn't shock me. Yeah. So I think the governor's looking at this and he's kind of freaking out and saying, "We have to do something as a state, and if it involves fifty million dollars in state funding, then so be it." He says that we're going to get the money from savings in the state's Medicaid program, and. That's possible. I mean, we're seeing the trend line for increases in the MA program, the Medicaid, BadgerCare, going down year after year after year. So $50 million in savings in the next biennium is is very possible. Um, So the statement out of the governor's office is that this isn't actually going to take more out of the state budget. But it's part of a three-part plan the governor has – where this is kind of the short term thing we're going to try to staunch the bleeding for 2019 so you don't have these astronomical rate increases and then put in some other pr- provisions that are uh, that'll bring the cost down long term.
0: Okay, and then um, we mentioned four four major policy items in the state of the, state. the the last one would be the child tax credits. Ola Chris, which one of you want to tackle this one? <laughs>
2: uh, I'll I'll defer. Oof. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So we did talk about this one a little bit last week. Uh, Perhaps one of the biggest kind of surprise announcements, I would say, of the governor's state of the state address, that will be a new child tax credit for all child or for that all families will receive for children under the age of 18 who live in the home with them. They will be seeing 100 bucks back every year, and that'll be a new entitlement going forward. So. Yeah, I mean, the the question right now really are are these two big proposals that the governor has, well, three, I guess, rural economic development. I don't know, have we seen an official bill on that one?
0: Yeah, there was one introduced on Friday, but I mean, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's it spends the money. Yeah, spends sure. money to sure. help Sure, yeah, it's, it just
1: spends the money, right? So, uh, so yeah, exactly. I uh, Go I got a little mixed up. So welfare reform, rural economic development, those are kind of two big initiatives, proposals of the governor that we do have legislative language on. That's the right. latter two, reinsurance, uh, what he's going to do surrounding Obamacare and this credit. These aren't things we've seen official language on. So it'll be really interesting to see who in the legislature picks these up and and moves <laughs> forward with them
2: and how right. that'll happen. And what I think on these these last two items the the Obamacare uh, not prop up, uh-huh. a up, sure. I think is a better way to put it. Sure. And the child tax credit. There's going to be there's going to probably be some wheeling and dealing you oh, would yeah. think with oh, the yeah. legislature because these two are not the most popular with some conservatives, right. especially people who have their free market concerns. Right. The child tax credit is one thing where some people are saying, "Well, we you know, it should be given back Evenly to everybody who paid taxes in. I I think that if you look back, and we've had this conversation before, but if you're new to the podcast, you look back on the attitude that was prevalent with the governor and the legislature before governor walker took okay. over and it was if you if you if we get the money and we take it out of your pocket you can bet we're going to spend it on something sure. and this is at least a, a change some where new
1: program some new something a new, exactly. yeah and and a, a new bureaucracy
2: right? exactly and and so what the governor is talking about now is giving the money back to a segment Mm-hmm. sure, of the population, but he's given the money back. And right. this is fulfilling something that he has right. talked about yeah, and that's, for years. and
0: that's one of the things that I've kind of considered, too. I don't have any kids, but it's like, well, he, he's, he tried to help out the property taxpayers and the budget, so it's kind of like, well, you know, we're all, you know, he, he's, he's divvying it out the best he can.
2: Right, right. And it's just, again, that, that attitude of, you know, we have this surplus, it should go back to the people who earned, earned it in the right. first
0: place. So. All right, moving on, I don't think anyone was too surprised by Governor Walker's state of the state's overall. Um, he spent 45 minutes essentially bragging about all the good things happening in Wisconsin, and um, there's plenty of good things happening in Wisconsin. Right. So, I mean, he probably had to cut that one down a little bit. But the, the It started next- out,
2: I found this out, it started out as a five-hour address, <laughs> and someone <laughs> said uh, No can't yeah. do that. But it ended up being longer than they usually are.
0: Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it was like 45 minutes of bragging, then a half hour of talking about what he wants to do next, which, you know, we just talked about. Right. But um, President Trump's State of the Union address last week, however, seemed to catch a lot of people by surprise. It was overwhelmingly positive and unifying. 75% of the 45 million people who watched it approved of it. And his approval rating is now 49%. Of course, for some people, there's nothing Trump can ever do that will make them happy. And, Chris, (laughs) they got a lot of attention this week, too.
2: Well, um, I just want to throw a little bit of cold water on the 75% because I think a lot of people who already like Trump watched the speech. But there was a number I saw that was interesting. 45% of Democrats who watched it, according to one of these flash polls or whatever, uh, approved of it. So that's really an amazing number. Uh, And speaking of Democrats and their reaction, there might be a little bit of disconnect between the people who watched it and who might maybe vote Democrat, and the politicians who are in the room. I mean, you saw these wonderful uh, American heroes that President Trump was telling their story. You saw these pieces of good news. Taxes are down. Wages are up. People are taking home more money. Unemployment is, is down. And the Democrats found it difficult to stand up at
0: all. They, they didn't even applaud for any of that, and it's... To give a little bit of context to this, typically during a State of the State or a State of the Union address, whoever the president or the governor is, is gonna bring uh, special guests to the address. They're gonna sit in the gallery, and they're gonna be people that pretty much just represents a wide array of uh, general American citizens. So, and and people that, you know, kind of reflect positively on, on the community. So now, not
2: just on the president, but people who have stories about, the, you know, kind of the um, their American experience that the president wants to use to convey that optimistic message, and not necessarily just brag about what he's done. It's but, about what what they've done.
0: Yeah, like yes, so and so was you know born to a single parent and worked his way through Harvard and now he's got his own practice, you know, and he's you know, stories like that where it's you know just inspiring and typically. You know, here in Wisconsin here in the state of the state. Um, As Governor Walker is introducing these people, Republicans and Democrats both standing up, applauding them. They're applauding the person. Even if they don't like the governor, even if they hate his guts, they still get up and they applaud those people. But at the State of the Union this year, it was very unusual in that the Democrats refused to move. It was like they were made out of stone. You had a guy who um, one, the one that stands out to me was the guy who defected from North Korea, one arm, one leg, crawling across no man's land to, you know, get to freedom. And even this, this you know, this man, just such a courageous example and that yearning to be free, they, they didn't even flinch.
2: They're, they're, they're so focused on their hatred of, of Trump that because it's him telling the story, They can't clap for the story. They can't stand up for the story just because it's coming out of his mouth. I mean, that is, for me, it it, just comes across as juvenile or puerile or or adolescent, whatever word you want to use. It's
1: a shame, really.
2: It is a shame. And, you know, you you talk about the guy from the North Korean refugee or the police officer, I think it was, who adopted the the daughter of a (laughs) a heroin addict, I believe it was. A a lot of that kind of went. Me. All, all, all I was noticing was you have all this good news and these great stories, and you have scowls. I, I noticed Steny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi just scowling when Trump was saying something, I forget exactly what it was, that was very positive. I'm thinking, this is going to look oh, really
0: bad. Well, oh, yeah. Like, you know, we were talking about, like, the special guest, but you start going through the policy thing or the effects of Trump's policies on the country, and— They, they, you know, they couldn't, you know, they they couldn't, you know, clap for historic low black unemployment. They couldn't clap for, you know, huge tax refunds for people. I mean, people in America are finally starting to, you know, do well again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as as a people, we're doing well. And, I mean, they are just fuming about it. The economy,
2: (laughs) they're stewing. And, And the economy, you're right, heating up. We saw in January uh, the fastest wage growth since June of 2009. I wonder what was happening back then. Um, who was in charge? Yeah. <laughs> that time? But, uh, you know, all this good news, and, and here's what I, I – I use my family a lot as kind of a focus group for how a message is going to work with someone who pays attention to politics, but doesn't. they're not going to watch the State of the Union from beginning to end, and then the rebuttal speech yeah. – you know, that's my family.
0: On, yeah, where they can catch on Facebook or on, on the news. What or?
2: they catch on Facebook, what someone talks about when they go down to the tavern or something, or you know, out, out to eat, people talk about politics, just in casual conversation. What they catch on the news, and I'll tell you what, you know, you talk about the the, you can talk about the reaction by Joe Kennedy and people hit him for wearing too much chapstick or whatever. No, nobody really thinks that that's. Nobody cares. I mean, that's mm-hmm. dumb. It's dumb to talk about the chapstick and, you know, oh, was he drooling, blah, blah, blah. What people notice, though, and it's not dumb to talk about, is the way the Democrats were reacting to all this good news. Right. They, look, they look like they're, they're just throwing a temper tantrum and sitting on their hands like, you know, you know, you can't see me over the they, pocket. No, you know, yeah, like if the country, girl who's pouting.
0: Yeah, if the country is winning, we're losing if we aren't in charge. Exactly.
2: That's a good way to put it. And, uh, you know, I.
0: And
1: besides that, I really just the fact that they had to come out with a Kennedy, that to me was notable. I you know I don't know a single person my age who thought that was a good decision <laughs> at all. End of story. I mean, like, where's the bench? Come on, guys. Like, this is really the best person you have well, I to rem- deliver
0: to, to deliver this message. I don't believe it. I just don't. No, I remember uh, right around the time Ted Kennedy passed away. I mean, I actually remember news stories where you know you could tell that the mainstream media was was. Disappointed that for the first time in you know fifty years there wouldn't be a Kennedy in Congress. So they didn't have to wait very long <laughs> to get another one. Yeah, so I mean they're they probably playing a little bit to the media on that choice. But. Yeah, they,
2: they talk a lot about white male privilege. <laughs> I, I, I I don't I don't know if I'd completely disagree that that's a thing, but. If you'd agree with it, that it's a thing, which you are if you're a Democrat, most likely, you get the most privileged white male possibly in the country <laughs> to give this, this rebuttal speech. Yeah. And I think he did an okay job delivering it. But mm-hmm. you add to the childish antics of the Democrats, pouting on the House floor, and then you transition over to the rebuttal speech. And, and this very young-looking guy is behind a small podium, In a little room with a small miniature version, you know, crowd that looks like they're kind of arrayed in the semicircle pattern of a little miniature U.S. House chamber. And it just looks like he's their plain president after this very well-received speech by the real
0: president. Well, so either they're planning on him running for president or since it was set up like the uh, House chambers, you know, maybe Nancy Pelosi should be concerned that, you know, this guy is, you know, gunning for her seat.
2: (laughs) Hey, maybe... (laughs) How many times can you keep making the same mistake if you're the Democrats? Uh, that's a legit question. <laughs> I think she's lost the most consecutive elections uh, and still retained her spot oh, she, as being a leader. She, she
0: must have dirt on someone. Well, you know, so obviously, you know, there's, there's, you know, liberals can never admit, you know, a good thing's a good thing when a Republican's in charge. And so... That brings us to tax cuts and, you know, whether while this is like really good news for, mm-hmm. you know, the majority of the country, to Democrats, it's the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ola, you've been keeping score on this one. Uh, how is uh, How have things developed last week? I'll get
2: your radiation off me.
0: <laughs> yeah, things have been developing uh,
1: <laughs> here in the pits of Dante's Inferno, where tax cut Armageddon rolled on. And affected hundreds of thousands more American workers. That of course brings the total number of Americans who will see some kind of one-off raises, bonuses, pension increases as a direct result of this tax bill. To well over three million uh, people, so uh, pretty big stuff. Last Tuesday, BMO Harris announced that it would raise its company-wide minimum wage to $15 an hour.
2: Pay for 15. <laughs>
1: Effective immediately, it also announced that it would uh, increase its level of charitable giving by 10% in the coming year.
2: I, do, I just got. That's interesting because there was all these articles about how. Charitable giving might dry up, and all these people who work for the nonprofits were very worried that. So, I think that's a good example of Mm -hmm. how that may not be a thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very interesting stuff. Uh, Cigna on Wednesday, the health insurer giant announced that it would raise their minimum wage to $16 an hour. Uh, also giving raises to other fl- frontline employees who are already above that mark, spending uh, just about $15 million on salary raises alone. The company will also add $30 million to its 401k program, increasing those con- uh, contributions to employee pensions by an additional 1% match this year. And more than 30,000 employees will benefit from that alone. Proms. Promise. <laughs> yeah. moving right along on Wednesday Thermo Fisher Scientific announced that it would make investments totaling 50 million dollars in its uh, in its employees and in the US including 34 million dollars for $500 bonuses for each of its 68,000 non-executive employees plus another 16 million that it'll invest in research and development and STEM programs again <laughs> We're only getting through Wednesday, folks. I was very okay. concerned. Yeah, this is getting pretty long. I was yeah. worried
2: this is this segment's going to consume the entire podcast I eventually. Yeah, I, mean, I know. <laughs> I got one more to add. uh Sabin Capital, which is a, a big capital company, uh-huh. uh, announced a thousand dollar bonus today too.
1: That's right. Yeah, we did see that today. I think the
2: Speaker yeah. Speaker Ryan sent that out, I believe.
1: Right, yeah. I think I saw that too. Yeah. On uh, Thursday, last Thursday, UPS also announced that it would spend more than $12 billion, with a B in investments to expand the company's smart logistics network, uh, as well as contributing to its 401k program. Finally, also on Thursday, Lowe's announced that it would provide bonuses for more than 260,000 wow. hourly employees, up to 1000 bucks a person based on the length of time uh, that that person has been with the company. Uh, Lowe's is also going to be expanding its benefits package. Whew. Where's my glass of water? That was a long list, yeah. yeah. And so in related news, while Pelosi and others continue their media tour using the language of crumbs and Armageddon, You can bet we will, too. (laughs) And the American people have been reacting with a new Monmouth poll showing that favorability for the tax cut bill is now at 44, approve, 44, disapprove. That's percent, of course. A huge swing since December, the last time this poll was done. uh, That poll showed, about uh, just a month ago, showing only 26% of the American public uh, approved of the bill with 47% disapproving so a huge swing there though of course that was a poll done before the final version of the bill was passed pretty important to note so i think we're i mean we're going to go ahead and continue seeing that number going up uh, we broke yeah. even this year as more and more and more companies announce these kinds of tax cuts i mean i know i was just talking to my parents last week they're you know kind of just sitting on their hands like When's my company gonna do something? Maybe <laughs> yes. us. You know what I mean. I, and, yeah. and people all around the country are, are waiting for things like
0: this and, and seeing oh, what happening. Putting pressure on a lot of, on the companies that aren't doing it. Oh,
1: absolutely. Well, that's absolutely. what that's uh,
2: that's market pressure right <laughs> yeah. there. There was um, there was a lot of people in this poll, and I don't remember the exact number. Still thought they were going to get a tax increase. They didn't believe that this is going to actually cut taxes. Yeah. So that forty four's got a lot of room to move.
0: Yeah, it upward, does. and
2: it's. I mean, I think it was pretty easy to predict that poll numbers were going to improve. Sure, yeah. And so they have.
1: As people learn more, as people see the effects of these, and speaking of seeing the effects, even if you don't have one of those employers, one of these uh, uh, companies who have made huge announcements like these, you probably have already noticed those changes on your paychecks. I know I already have, Uh, you know, just actually taking a moment to, uh, that's what?
2: Mm. <laughs> so, just hot news! Uh, I'm showing my computer to Ola. There's a brand new press release from Paul Ryan's office saying Anthem's going to join the mm. party and give a thousand dollar Anthem employees to receive a thousand dollar contribution wow. from company due to changing U.S. tax need,
0: code. Like a ticker on our YouTube channel.
2: <laughs> I completely yeah. ruined your momentum. I'm sorry. I
1: know. Thank you. Yeah, that, those dead seconds.
2: Chris,
1: <laughs> I I'm just throwing a laptop in my face. Just live. <laughs> well, <laughs>
2: All right. So, we're, as we're I
1: was saying, new withholding tables, uh, the IRS will be in effect, so the IRS deadline for employers to comply with this bill will be February 15th, so if you haven't already seen a paycheck that you're getting every couple weeks, you will by then. I know I already have. It's been pretty exciting. I've been opening up my paycheck <laughs> instead of just throwing it in the drawer like I have been for the last couple of weeks and seeing that, that decrease in a couple of the lines there. So pretty interesting stuff. And finally, to wrap up this last segment, uh, the AP also reported late last week that U.S. employers added 200,000 jobs in January and wages rose at their fastest pace in more than eight years. May or may not have something to do with this massive, massive bill, first major restructuring of the federal tax code since 86, but I digress.
0: <laughs> well, Chris, um, speaking of returning money back to taxpayers, that's your uh, cue.
2: Speaking of returning money back to taxpayers, <laughs> um, yeah, we, we talked about this on the, the late or a uh, MacIver News Minute from last week. Um, Governor Walker, as we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, has made the you know has constantly said if there's a surplus i want to make it a goal to give it give the money back to people and he follows through on that with his proposal to give 122 million dollars back to the taxpayers so the McIver news minute right now this is the
0: McIver news minute here's matt Kittle.
2: governor scott walker made a pledge years ago when times are good taxpayers deserve the dividend He's making good on that pledge once again. In his State of the State address last week, the governor laid out his proposal to use part of a projected budget surplus shy of a half billion dollars to pay for new child credits. The latest tax break returns about $122 million to taxpayers. As promised, when we have a surplus, we will give it back to you, the hardworking taxpayers, Walker said. While we disagree with the governor on some of the details of his State of the State agenda, there's no denying that Walker and the Republican-controlled legislature have delivered some $8 billion in tax cuts since 2011. Think about how often surpluses in the past have gone to pay this government program or that at the expense of the taxpayer. The promise being made has been kept, and Wisconsin taxpayers are the beneficiaries of that pledge. For the MacGyver News Minute, I'm Matt Kittle. For more free market news, log on to MacGyver Institute. And you can listen to the McIver News Minute every Tuesday and Thursday on News Talk 1130 WISN. Uh, subscribe, by the way, to the McIver Report, and we will send you a bonus, the McIver News Minute, every Tuesday and Thursday. Stay caught up on all things going on at the Capitol. And speaking of goings on at the Capitol, there are a lot of them.
0: Yes, and we've kind of uh, touched base on them, a lot of them as we've gone through this podcast, but starting on tuesday we've got a number of hearings um one is uh for our education bills that we were discussing mm-hmm. Lola, if you just want to give a quick recap on those
1: yeah that's right so we'll have one uh senate education committee will be meeting tuesday morning a uh, long slew of uh, of bills there we really could have a standalone thing on on just things that are moving in that particular committee one of them uh bill to add supplemental aid for school districts with a large area, kind of changing how that's defined and how that works.
0: Which is different from the supplemental (laughs) aid bill for rural school districts last week.
1: That's right, that's right. That was, of course, uh, the the big uh, bill on the docket, in my world, last week, Senate Bill 690, that would increase levels of sparsity aid and also increase the low revenue adjustment for certain school districts. That one passed committee last week with 14 eyes 1 no, Representative Hebel being the one person who voted against that bill after two Democratic amendments were offered and both left on the table. The bill is now referred to joint the Joint Finance Committee, where it does have a good chance of passing given, you know, the, the priority that the administration and legislative leaders have put on this particular bill, though we will look forward to that debate as fiscal hawk Senator Dewey Strobel joins the joint finance table, taking now Cap Secretary Sheila Harsdorf's place. Um, so that certainly pulls that particular <laughs> joint committee bit further towards taxpayer advocates, of course. It'll (laughs) Um, be very
2: interesting to see JFC.
1: And something that was also scheduled this very morning, uh, joint finance will be meeting on Wednesday afternoon to uh, look at a slew of bills. The low revenue adjustment and sparsity aid bill is one of those. Uh, For those of you who don't know, big spending bills like that one, they do also have to go through the state's joint finance committee as well as going through the... uh, regular committees,
0: it would also go. So
1: that'll be probably the last step for it before it hits the uh, floors of both houses. I've
0: heard the uh, members have been told to expect a long night, too. Mm, but
1: Yeah. Because that day, they don't even begin until 1.30 that afternoon, oh I believe. Talk about
2: deja vu right back yeah. to the days of the budget. I don't
0: know. Well, don't know. No. Senator Struble will get, you know, uh, a good introduction of what he's got to look <laughs> forward to. He has
2: right. no idea what he's in for. So,
0: so we also have a ton of welfare reform bills this week, too
2: right we talked about the welfare reform bills uh, er, earlier and we look forward to on tuesday uh possibly another long right. assembly executive session mm-hmm. in committee mm-hmm. uh, passing those and obviously as always stay tuned to mciver and we will keep you up to date
0: yeah then the last one i'll, I'll just point out is um assembly bill 748 Jeez, we're already at 748. That can't be right. (laughs) Anyway, um, pertaining to um, collective bargaining rights for local governments, Chris, you've you've, uh, looked into this one a bit.
2: Right. uh, Kittle wrote the story on this one, but I was there, and um, basically this bill is an attempt to stop local governments from enacting their own patchwork of employment regulations Uh, Prohibiting local regulation of employee hours and overtime, employment benefits, wage claims and collections, and employer's right to solicit salary information of prospective employees. The list goes on. Uh, But basically what human resource professionals and employers are worried about is just a patchwork of different regulations from city to city and municipality to municipality around the state that makes it impossible to do HR or to run a business uh, on a statewide basis. You have to, you know, depending on what city you're at, is, is, you know, the rules change every few miles. So this law tries to preempt that sort of situation. Okay, so we have got a busy week ahead of us. (laughs) Another one. Yeah, another one. And And it's going to be cold on top of that, so.
0: and And, you know, it's going to be like this all month long. Well, at least the activity at the Capitol. So.
2: Well, we're going to keep drinking the coffee, even though we found out this week that it's now carcinogenic if you're in California.
0: Well, you know, that's why that's you cool. got to buy the good organic stuff. Like uh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They say it's carcinogenic just because it's coffee, so, Ola, well, you're in real trouble.
0: I don't know. Yeah, add it to the list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that will do it for the McIver Report this week. Thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to uh, –
2: We look forward to you subscribing. We look
0: forward to you subscribing. (laughs) We look forward to reading
2: your comments.
0: And I'm sure you look forward to hearing from us again next week. So until then, peace out.